Welcome to Let's Talk Learning Disabilities with Lori Peterson and Abby Weinstein. Lori and Abby spend their days talking about dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, and ADHD. They talk to parents of struggling students and adults who have had a lifetime of academic challenges. They want to share those stories along with their own insights with you. So, let's talk learning disabilities. everybody. This is Lori. And this is Abby. Welcome to Let's Talk Learning Disabilities. We are bringing you another episode in our 12-part series called Turning Struggles into Triumphs, Parenting Through Learning Challenges. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's interview. Have a great day. Well, hello, Sarah. Welcome to um, joining us today for our parent series on parents of students with disabilities. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to speak with you and just go over kind of our experience having a child with multiple learning disabilities. Okay. Well, wonderful. We appreciate you being here. And again, thank you so much for being willing to to share your own personal stories and to kind of let be more vulnerable and hopefully that will resonate with a listener or a parent who's kind of walking in the shoes that you did walk in previously and it could help them. So starting out, starting out, tell us a little bit about the struggles, either educational and or behavioral that you observed in your kiddo prior to any type of diagnosis. Sure. So um, Alexandra is my child. She goes by Alex that has um, dyslexia, dysgraphia, and dyscalculia. Those are her three learning disabilities. And uh, she is my second child. So we have a son who's 15 and Alex is 10 now. So my son, you know, going through with him preschool, um, lower elementary, middle high school, has never really had any issues at all with um, learning difficulties. We are in the unique situation that we have dyslexia that runs in the family. So my husband, although not diagnosed formally, because at that time it was just, you know, just to learn it, memorize things like that. Exactly. Um, my husband has, you know, all of the markers for dyslexia um, as an, you know, as a child and now as an adult. And then mm-hmm. I have some nephews as well on my husband's side that had pri- previously been diagnosed. And so we kind of knew already what to look for. Yeah. So it was kind of on your radar it because it the- that we already kind of had in the family that knew, Hey, this could be a possibility. And so luckily mm-hmm. um, when my daughter was three and she went into preschool, she was in preschool three days a week. Um, we already started to notice things right off the bat with her that kind of just pinged, you know, our little spidey senses in the back of our head. So she had a really difficult, a really difficult time learning her shapes. They didn't make sense to her. So like other kids are learning square, rectangle, circle. She had a difficult time differentiating those on flashcards and just in class. Um, Uh And then her letters, you know, she had a really hard time identifying her letters. So when, you know, when she was four years old or three years old and other kids are saying A, B, C, she really couldn't do that. Um, And this was very interesting to us because as a baby, she developed very quickly. So when she was uh, nine months old, she started walking. At 11 months, she was running through the house, dribbling a soccer ball. We actually have it on video. 
I'm speaking in full sentences by about 18 months. I mean, complete full sentences. And so she developed physically and verbally very early. Right. Um, And so she had the words for all of those things. She just couldn't visually identify them on a card. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't that, oh, she just doesn't have the word for what a square rectangle is. I mean, she was speaking in complete sentences. Um, and was very visually aware of her surroundings. Um, she was very physical, so she's been playing soccer since she was about three on a soccer team. Um, and, and even now, she's in select sports, multiple select sports, um, and, and a variety of other enrichment activities. And so mm-hmm. uh, for us, not being able to identify your shapes and, and your letters at three and four and five just gave us an idea that, hey, we need to be watching for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that so you kind of had that gut feeling that something wasn't right. Yeah. She wasn't developing the way she should be developing. Absolutely. Now, our school, we're in the Texas public school system, and we have a very large district that we are in. And so um, they have a lot of services available. And I actually ended up being the PTA president of Alex's school when she entered elementary school and was able to get to know the dyslexia service specialist very well while I was there. Mm. And so, Uh you know, working with her um, kindergarten and first grade teachers as she developed through, they were seeing the same things I was. And we had a very open communication about the things that they were seeing. And so as she entered elementary school, we saw the same things. Still hard, difficult letter recognition, very difficult sound to letter recognition. And even though there wasn't a lot of math being done, even number issues, you know, just how to Uh set up the math problem, what math problems are, a lot of counting on our fingers. Uh Idea of like three didn't make sense to her. She had to have three apples or three refrigerators or three frogs that she just didn't know what three meant. That doesn't, it didn't make sense to her. So just math. And it's more concrete. Yeah, math conceptually was really difficult. Um, And so our district doesn't like to test for dyslexia until they're seven. So she turned seven in November, and the day after she turned seven, she was tested. So I'd already had it on the books. I was able to get that done. And we got results back very quickly, luckily, but it was the holiday season, right? So yes, we knew she was going to have dyslexia. She did. And then but the services weren't going to start until January. So our IEP meeting wouldn't be until January. Really getting pulled for intertype, any type of intervention wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. But we felt like there's more than dyslexia going on here. Her writing, her handwriting was really difficult. Um, following any type of book or writing was difficult for her. Uh, math, and again, the math concepts are really difficult for her. So we talked to the school and asked for some additional testing for other learning disabilities that um, that dyslexia doesn't encapsulate, right? Mm-hmm. And they said, that's not as easy as, as you being in the school and help, you know, we can test dyslexia really quickly, but if we have to do the other things, that goes through a more uh, broad process through the district. We have almost 40,000 students in our district. So getting on that list is pretty difficult. Uh, um, so we actually went through an outside diagnostic testing center to get additional, more comprehensive testing for her to make sure we knew what we were dealing with. She just uh-huh. seven. We want to nip it in the bud early, get her the uh, the intervention she needs early. So we went through that diagnostic testing center. And from my first phone call to them to getting the results of her testing was 10 days. And so in 10 days from calling them, 
we got the test and we got the results in our hands and in wow. very good detail of exactly where her limitations were. And then that's where the dyscalculia and the dysgraphia comes in. We were able then to take those to her school and get a very good comprehensive IEP out of oh, all of those. Good. Things. Yeah. So that's crazy. So you were very fortunate. So when you took the private outside evaluation to the school and shared it with them, it sounds like they were pretty responsive to it. They accepted that those additional diagnoses and kind of revised her individualized education plan. Yes. So I'm very fortunate. And one that I have the luxury of being um, having such close access to the school Um, Uh at a principal who has a child who has dyslexia. So she, and who is in the current school district, who's going through the same interventions as my daughter. was. Right. So we were very lucky in that regard. And our school pretty much said, what do you need? Let's put it in now because it's easier to take out than Mm -hmm. it is to add. So if we add it in first grade, she might not need it until she's a sophomore in high school, but it's there now. And once Mm -hmm. it's there, it's much harder to take it out. You have to intentionally take it out instead of fight to add it. So um, I was able to really take the feedback we got um, from the outside testing. And what that testing came literally a sheet of these are the accommodations that would best fit the learning style for your child. And I handed that to them and I said, this is what I want her IEP. And they put it in there. So it was that easy. So we were very, very lucky to have a um, an elementary school at that time who was willing to just listen and work with mm-hmm. us. And I was dealing with administration that was really familiar with these same learning disabilities. Yeah, um, I think that was probably really helpful. Oh, absolutely. she could relate. Yeah, and she, she wanted mm-hmm. absolutely. Now, and I, she wanted Alex to be successful. Also, she cared. She and, did, and I, I kind of. And I say this um, understanding that when we come from a place of extreme privilege in that regard, to be able to get the outside testing, to be able to have such a close relationship with the school administration. On the flip side, you know, Alex doesn't have any, and I'm using air quotes here, behavioral disabilities, right? And so Mm -hmm. he is an easy student. She is charismatic. She comes in and she'll go, Hi, Mrs. Jones. How was your weekend? How's your dog? You know, and she really engages with the adults around her and Uh she really wants to learn. And so she sits down quietly. She does her work. She knows what her accommodations are, even from a very early age. She understood why and how to utilize her accommodations. Uh And if she couldn't, how to verbalize because she had the words, this isn't working for me. Can we try something else? Yeah, that's great. So in a lot of ways, you know, she had that maturity coming in to have the words and know what to say. And she had knowing cousins have these same learning disabilities. Knowing Mm -hmm. daddy has these same learning disabilities. There was no negative stigma. It was, I have blonde hair and blue eyes and I have dyslexia. (laughs) Right, right. It wasn't quite as shocking or hard yeah. to hear or so foreign, like, what's wrong with me? Yes, exactly. There was, it was no, there was no, I'm struggling because there's something wrong with me. It mm-hmm. was, I can remember people's names really well, and I have a hard time reading. 
you know, and so, you know, it's, it's just what it That's is. Great. How right. our brain works. Mm-hmm. So we were really fortunate to one, have the touchstones in place in our lives that could help us. And mm-hmm. to already have experiences with those individuals who are who are having to have accommodations for their own disabilities as well. So right. um, from a and getting intervention so early, you know, getting di- di- diagnosed so early, we were able to just make it a part of her daily routine. Yeah, I think that's wonderful, and I think it's also helpful for them. Once they get pulled into a dyslexia intervention program, they also start realizing there's other kids around me that struggle with reading or spelling. I mean, you know, you realize I'm not the only one that's having these struggles at school and this guy next to me and this girl to my right, they're experiencing some of the same struggles. And I think because they're taught in a very different way, the way their brains learn best, they pick up on it quickly and start experiencing successes very quickly. So I think it can help really boost confidence also, you know, getting that intervention and being in that dyslexia intervention group with others. Oh, absolutely. Some of those kids are her best friends. You know, they're, um, they're together so much and we've now moved up from, uh, we're now in intermediate school. She's in fifth grade now. And, and our our intermediate school is fifth and sixth grade, and there's a thousand students in the school. So it's five elementary wow. schools that feed into that one intermediate. So a lot of the time, those kids don't see each other at all, except in dyslexia intervention. She gets to see her little core five or six. Mm-hmm. And she's so excited because she's missed them. You know, they were together every day since second grade, you know. Right. So it's almost like a comfort to get back with them and to go through I don't know, you know, the, if your listeners, how many of them have children in dyslexia and in dyslexia interventions, but they almost have like a little ritual of, of sounds and things they say at the beginning of every single class to get their brains on track to decode, words, mm-hmm. for example. It sounds foreign to me. It sounds like she's speaking another language when they go through all of the little things. Uh, but, you know, for them, it's, it's a, there's a comfort associated with those kids um, mm-hmm. She definitely has a, a a friend, a very sweet friendship with her peers that she's been through the dyslexia intervention with. Yes. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Mm-hmm. So, I guess you know, it sounds like she's doing well. And so, have you noticed a big difference in her academic performance at home and at school since? the diagnosis and since putting some accommodations and interventions in place. So, um, you know, just like with everything, disabilities are on a spectrum typically. Right. And so talking mm-hmm. with, um, her dyslexia specialist and, and resource specialist at school, her case managers, um, what we have seen, um, and then we also had her in outside dyslexia intervention. So in our school uses MTA is their main mm-hmm. program. And so we actually put her in an outside program as well. So she was getting MTA in schools. And then two days a week, she was going to an outside program that was an hour a day, two days a week that was take flight. So she was getting two different programs at the same time. And there's a lot of overlap with those 
to just help mm-hmm. reinforce and maybe MTAs explain something better than take flight. Take flight explains it a little bit better. So this enable to just reinforce that learning and hear the same thing in multiple different ways to maybe something would click or, or wouldn't click. Right. Oh, and yeah. That's so, wonderful. Yeah. So we were able to do that. Now, with that being said, Alex has severe dyslexia. So she... um even with all of that intervention, with knowing since first grade, with getting, you know, all of the accommodations in place in fourth grade, she was still at what they expect the beginning of second grade reading levels to be. And so she's still consistently about two years behind. However, Uh because her verbal and conversation skills are so strong, she's really done a great job at being able to one advocate for other ways to show her knowledge other than written, which in in an intermediate school at the the size that we are um, written is the easiest way for teachers to get knowledge um, in from testing, right? You're testing writing is the easiest way to do it. So um, we have been encouraging her since third grade to use her speech to text accommodation. So she actually had a laptop when her peers did it in the classroom and would get a worksheet and be able to speech to text the answers to her worksheet and then staple it on to, you know, print it, staple it onto her, um, her paper and they would accept it that way. So the school has been incredibly good and us advocating right. for her to start early using those technology accommodations, because if it becomes a part of their early learning, it's less scary to ask for it when they get older, because it's not different. And their peers have right. seen them using it. So it's not weird, right? It's That's not true. Oh, Alex is having to do this thing that nobody else does. It's just the way that Alex learns. She always has a good right, right. for her. Um, exactly. And so, even with all of that, her reading level is still very low and we are working on it and we have seen leaps and bounds uh, of improvement, but it is very much still a struggle for her. Yeah. So she is aware of all of her accommodations. She is aware to, of how to ask for them. Um, and she has very frank, direct conversations with her teachers on how to ask for those. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So, yes, we have seen major improvement, but the mm-hmm. improvement goes hand in hand with the confidence to ask for what you need or Absolutely. use what you have. Because sometimes she has it, you know, she has the accommodation on her lap, on her computer, on her, in her lap, literally. Um, but if you don't know to use it, how to use it or where to find it, it's not going to do anything for you. That's true. So it's That's not a good point. Yeah. The teacher directing her on how to do it. Um, mm-hmm. It's also her going and, and, and just utilizing what she has already at her fingertips. Yeah. Um, and they're just not going to learn that unless they're shown a few times. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a great point. I think a lot of times we do put accommodations in place for students and we just expect that the teacher and the student are going to understand what we meant by that accommodation and how to implement it, regardless of which subject area it is. So I really think that is great advice to make sure that the student understands the accommodation they have, why they have it, 
how it can be helpful and also to be able to explain to their teacher why it helps them, you know, if they need to ask for an accommodation and advocate for themselves to be able to talk about why it is beneficial, I think is, is an outstanding skill to have, especially moving forward throughout middle school and high school, really being able, being able to advocate for your own needs, request your accommodations, and know that they may look different in different classes, different subject areas is huge, especially, you know, in high school, once you have seven or eight different teachers and they have millions and millions of students. So they're all trying to catch, keep up with everybody's individualized education plans or 504 plans. So I think, you know, just the fact that she's comfortable enough and confident enough to say, I need this in order to be successful and, and do a good job. And she's not afraid to ask for it. I think that's huge. And that's half the battle. I mean, you can't teach self-advocacy, motivation, caring about school, wanting to do well, all of those things. That's great that she has that. Yeah. I mean, purpose is purpose is the reason, right? So what is the purpose for having this accommodation to begin with? If you don't understand what you're trying to get out of it, they're not going to utilize it properly, you know? Right. And that, Mm -hmm. and so for Alex, because we intervened so early and she did not have the stigma of, I, this is weird. I don't know. There's something wrong with me. It really allowed for us to move past what could be a big roadblock, right? I hate school. This is miserable. I'm getting behind. Mm-hmm. My brain's on fire. I'm not keeping up. All of those things are roadblocks to education where kids don't want to learn because they feel like they can't. Why am I exactly. trying? It's impossible. Right. And we never wanted her to, one, have all those negative feelings associated with school. That's not going to, that, that's not going to benefit anything. And right. two, Watching your child struggle as a parent who does not have dyslexia, you know, I didn't have these same issues um, and going through a book with her, for example, and the word again is on every page and she has read it seven times. And on the eighth time, she still doesn't know the word again, you know, mind blown. What is happening? Why? It's again, you've seen it. Right. And so. And as a parent, it's so hard to not be frustrated by that and say, why can you not remember this? word right here you know it's it so um for her to understand that i can get beyond this roadblock because i've I've put something in place to remove it is vital to her still loving school still you know not feeling like she's ostracized from her peers and in Mm -hmm. fact we kind of have a with her a little bit, she's so social and she developed, she did, she developed socially so quickly. You know, she, we call it like her dyslexia superpower, right? Is socially, Uh she is so good. She can walk into a room, she can read a room and she can say, you know, that that new girl who just started school is sad. I'm going to go sit with her and invite her or invite her over to sit with us for lunch. I'm going to go sit with her and see if she just needs some quiet time. She has that from such a young age and she knows everybody's names and most of their business. You know, she's just, (laughs) you know, she's, she's just, she developed from a social standpoint so quickly. Um, Right. Because that's great. But it's, it's, it is her superpower to feel so comfortable in a room of strangers and to have empathy and good social skills. Yeah. Make friends everywhere. But Mm -hmm. um, on the flip side of that, 
she has friends who will read for her. I'll just read it to you. And so, uh-huh. you know, and so she does have friends who are like, oh, you know, this is hard for Alex. So I'll just do this quick math problem for you. Well, you can't, uh-huh. you can't just have your friend do your math worksheet for you, you know? Right. So it's kind of a double-edged sword sometimes too, where it's like, we have to separate you from your friends because they're going to read it for you and tell you what it says. Right. <laughs> so we have And they're to- just trying to be kind and be helpful. <laughs> Absolutely. But sometimes, you know, she can lean on that a little heavily as well. So just because it's hard doesn't mean you, you shouldn't do it. You know, we can all. That's do right. Well, and I think it's hard too in this day and age. It's like everything is immediate gratification and we want, you know, we want to know it right now. We want the answer right now. We want it quickly. So you know, having to put in the extra time and effort it takes to read or to write, you know, when you have dyslexia is, you know, something that it's kind of like, oh, it's not fair. It's something so easy and quick for so-and-so or, you know, someone who has dyscalculia, you know, just it takes them a lot more time and effort to do a multi-step math problem. But I try to always remind parents and students that we all have strengths and weaknesses. So, you know, what's easy for you may not be easy for someone else. And what's difficult for you is, you know, vice versa, not as difficult for something someone else. So, yeah, I think it's great that I'm sure she's taking a lot of those, you know, strategies that she's learning through her dyslexia therapy program and starting to feel a little bit more successful when she opens up a book, she has some strategies now where, wait a minute, I can recognize more words or I feel like I can sound out this unfamiliar word or, you know, even though in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, it's gonna take a lot of time and extra effort. At least there are probably many days where she feels like I can do this. (laughs) Yeah. Have the strategies. Yeah, And, and you know, As a parent, I am constantly trying to, one, anticipate roadblocks that she's going to experience or problems that are going to come up and and see how can I remove this problem or this roadblock before it impacts her. Mm -hmm. You're trying to balance that with she needs to learn how to remove the roadblocks herself because she's going to have them her whole life. And so how mm-hmm. do you pad them too much or not enough, right? Because they're going to have to build up some resilience. And right. so, you know, for example, at the beginning of the school year, especially moving to a different school, a different administration, they don't know us. We're one of a thousand kids. Um, she auditioned for the, the school musical, the first week of school. So she didn't know the theater teacher. She didn't know the choir teacher, but her big brother is in musical theater in the high school. And she was like, this is my chance, right? To do oh, what cool. big brother does. But right. and she got a role in the play, which was amazing. That is and, exciting. Yeah, so super exciting. It was the first week of school. And so they were they got their script and they were gonna read through the script in front of everyone on the first day of rehearsals. And so I reached out to her theater teacher and I said, Hey, you know, I just wanted to let you know Alex has dyslexia. So the first time she sees something. She's going to have a difficult time reading it. So the first time she sees the script is in front of everyone and she's going to be having to keep up and read it. That might Mm -hmm. be difficult for her. And that doesn't mean, I mean, she's going to memorize her lines because she could memorize like a pro, right? That's kind of Mm -hmm. how she learned all along and kept up. Right. First time in front of everybody might not be the the best time to give her that information, right? So I said, 
go through the lines with their her lines really quick, like beforehand. Or if you can send me the script a day early, I'll review them with her. So when she's reading it in front of everybody the first time, it isn't the first time she's actually seen the words. Mm-hmm. So that's me trying to anticipate roadblocks constantly for her, you know? That's so smart. Yeah. And that's another way you're being, you're being a great advocate for her and you are anticipating some of those roadblocks, but eventually I think, and you would probably agree with me that eventually you want to start having her experience some of those roadblocks on her own kind of as those quote unquote natural type consequences or natural roadblocks to see how she is able to overcome them on her own. Right. Oh, Absolutely. And I think failing is also learning. So absolutely. So if she fails at something in a safe space, all Mm -hmm. we're doing is learning. We're learning yep. that that path did not work for us. And so failing for her just means, okay, that didn't work. And we can, we can try a different route tomorrow because we don't penalize failing in our house. And I have made it very clear to her teachers that we look at failing as growth opportunities. And so, and her teachers right. have been very on board with that. But I do have a really open communication style with her teachers. I reach out and talk to them and, and I support their classrooms. And if they need something, I provide the support. I understand mm-hmm. that this is a give and take. You know, they have right. like over eight hours a day. And they're, exactly. they're going to see that I don't. Um, and, you know, I've had some really hard IEP meetings where I've been, and, sure. and she hasn't been in those, but I've, You know, you're crushed for your kid. Sometimes you're crushed for your kid and you're sad that they're having to go through it and you tear up and you, you worry about how are they going to handle high school or college or getting a job? And Mm -hmm. like, you have to remind yourself they're eight or nine or 10. Like Mm -hmm. those things are going to worry about themselves. We need to worry about this, this piece of time and how do we get them to grow in this piece of time? Right. That, that makes sense. Yeah. You can't think t- too far ahead mm-hmm. and live your life in fear and cause yourself a bunch of worry, worry and anxiety about what's to come. I mean, the great news is, and something that you can always tell your child that has been diagnosed with dyslexia, is that individuals with dyslexia are very, very successful people. You know, you can go and Google highly successful individuals with dyslexia and learn about all the, you know, entrepreneurs and actors and singers and, you know, business startups and business people and, you know, people that have invented things that have dyslexia. So, yeah, you can't predict exactly what things are going to look like for her even in high school or college or beyond, but you can remind her that take these strategies, remember them, use the tools you've been taught, use the accommodations that are in place to help level the playing field. But remember that you are very bright and you can be very, very successful. You just might have to put in a little extra effort here and there. Well, and I think like kids with dyslexia, because of how they learn, are very perceptive because mm-hmm. that is that is a coping skill from a very young age through development yep. that they have used to cope with 
the disadvantages of having dyslexia, right? Is mm-hmm. they're very astute, aware, young children. They very, are very. And so true. if you as a parent are stressed about their learning disability, are ashamed of their learning disability, treat it like it is something, you know, horrible and a huge disadvantage and it, it's going to be awful for them, that's how they're going to feel about it, right? And so even though through those IEP meetings and my heart sinks and I feel so sad for her, she never sees that side of, you mm-hmm. know, I, I suck it up at the end of the meeting and go, okay, this is our plan for next year. You know, I right. let myself feel them and I'm sad for a second. And then I go, okay, shake it off. We got work to do, right? Right. And so if she were to see me or her brother or her dad look at her disabilities or talk about them in a way where she could internalize that or be super bummed about it and sad about it, then I think her wanting to use her accommodations at school, her advocating for herself, all of those things would look much differently because there would be a level sure. of shame associated with it. But really, she has nothing mm-hmm. to be ashamed of. Her, you know, she has the genes for dyslexia and dyscalculia right. and dysgraphia, and it just is. You know, she has right, hair. exactly. You know, she has blonde hair, blue eyes. Her brother, and, and it's fun because her older brother, who is a wonderful big brother to her, he has curly red hair. So we always say, <laughs> "Brother has red hair, and you have dyslexia." It just is what it is. You know, it is what it is. It is yeah. What it is. And so, it's a perfect example. Yeah, so yeah. For her, there we there has never been a stigma associated with it. And I've always been very open with her about these are the things that are going to be harder for you, but there's going to be things mm-hmm. that are for you too, you know? Right. You That's great. You can walk into a room and you can know things about people just by reading the room. You know, right. you know that Sally is sad and, and Jerry is happy, for example, and mm-hmm. how to approach them because that's your superpower, like I said earlier. Exactly. So, um, we, I love that. Yeah, we definitely- and that is so helpful to to constantly build her confidence and remind her of all the things she's really good at. Because going to school every day, she's going to automatically be reminded of the things that are difficult for yep. her. So being able to point out all of the positive strengths that she has and the things that come easier for her. That's a really great, you know, positive parenting strategy. I love that. And I think hopefully some of our listeners listening to that can, you know, keep that in mind that, you know, the diagnosis only really tells you, it helps you understand why things are difficult for your child. And it gives you kind of that plan of action moving forward. You know, if your brain learns this way, this is what we need to do. Or you struggle with reading, writing, and spelling, we need to do this. You struggle with math, we need to do this. But it, it really does help you, you know, realize like, I'm not dumb, I'm not lazy, I'm not incapable of learning, I learn differently. And my brain is just kind of wired differently and it learns differently. But being able to point out at the same time, look at all these things that are really strong for you and come easily for you. I think that's huge. Yeah. So you've, you've, you are a great advocate and, you know, person to, to help her understand more about her dyslexia and thrive regardless of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I love that. We don't, and, and, and for new parents who, whose children have just been diagnosed at any age, 
don't make their diagnosis whisper words. As adults, we all have whisper words. We whisper, not mm-hmm. about the kids. We don't want the kids to hear. Dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, ADHD, of all of those, they're not whisper words. They're not the boogeyman. Yeah. They're, not, they're not scary words that we don't want the kids to hear. There's no shame in those words. They are simply right. a diagnosis that gives us the word to be able to seek the intervention that we need and seek the treatment that we need. So mm. it's just a word. It's a descriptor. It tells us right. to put us on the path. They are not with yep. words in our house. So that's the first thing. Because I love that. Your kids will pick up on that. If you're whispering the words, there's shame associated with it. Right? Exactly. Yep. And even if, even if you don't mean for the kids to pick up on that, they will. And two, mm-hmm. we carve out time for wins. My daughter, so Alex is in select soccer. She's in select lacrosse. She's doing theater. We don't come home after a full day of school and say, let's read more. You can't tutor your way out of dyslexia and dyscalculia. Uh We don't sit down and make her write words. We carve out time for wins. She has been all day long getting intervention and being taught and being pulled for tutoring and additional things. So at night, Uh we play sports. We do voice lessons. We, we carve out time. We prioritize as a family, family time and carving out time for wins. We go to the theater. We support our school's other events. Um, we don't set home because she's struggling. So we need to come home and focus on just what she's struggling on. Right. Exactly. One piece of the puzzle <laughs> and their brains are tired and they need mm-hmm. to win. So that's right. Although intervention is important, that can't be their whole story. You have that's to true. find out time for wins. You have to let them win, whatever it is. I, if, if your child isn't a sports child, but they love to draw, let them come home and draw for an hour. Let right. them, them praise their drawing. Let them exactly win. hang that drawing up yeah, on the wall. Right. Carve out time <laughs> for wins. So that's we we don't probably we don't read as a family every night you know there are some nights that. we don't Advice. sit for 30 minutes and, and read there are nights mm-hmm. absolutely we do but there are days when she, her brain needs a break um, sure. and this is yep. this is not a sprint we're not going to sprint our way out of it this is her That's whole true. life so yep. her whole life can't be focused on her disability it is just That's one so tiny piece of it um and so we definitely we carve out a lot of our time for the things that she's really good at. And then we spend very focused time on the things we need to work on. I love that. That's what childhood is, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think that's great advice. I mean, that was my last thing I was going to say is, do you have advice for parents that are walking in the shoes that you were walking in prior to, you know, evaluation and diagnosis and, I think that celebrating those wins is so huge. I think that's so important. Like they spend eight hours a day with demands put on them all day long and their struggles are evident to them all day long at school. So yes, you want to, you know, work on some skills a little bit here and there, but doing things that they enjoy and celebrating their wins and letting them enjoy their family and not let family time or mom or dad be this evil person that drills me and makes me do reading because reading is hard. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm doing that. all so the I think that, Yeah. I think that's great advice. And I also think I heard you say, you know, kind of go with your gut, you, you know, your, your mama gut in the beginning, you, you had that gut feeling like, 
things shouldn't be this challenging for her. And we have this history in our family. And so you, you pushed for the evaluation, right? Yes. Really advocated for it. Yeah. And and I've talked to parents who electively put their head in the sand, right? Because they don't want their child to be labeled as different. Mm -hmm. So it's, if you, if you give it the word, then it means it's true, right? So if you get them tested and they're, and they get, and they're diagnosed with dyslexia, now they have dyslexia. So if you don't have the word, it doesn't exist. And, and the more that you bear your head in the sand, you are delaying the intervention your child could get. So you, as parents, a lot of time, and you know, I have a teenage son now, we have to set our feelings aside for what's best for our kids. And with teenagers, mm-hmm. even more, right? Really, right. our feelings to the side sometimes. But it's very challenging. <laughs> yeah, as parents, we have to set our feelings to the side. Whatever stigma that we have or preconceived notion of what those words mean, just like whatever the learning disability is, whatever, or you know, ADHD, a variety of things, we also have preconceived stigmas about that that we have to get over because it is mm-hmm. our job as parents. To give our kids the resources they need to be successful. And you cannot do that by avoiding and ignoring red flags. Because once there's words with it, schools can help, you know, work with your schools. But if if you're just making assumptions, then a lot of times the school's hands are tied. If you're preventing, Mm -hmm. if you're not signing off for testing. Um, And a lot of parents I know don't even want their kids pulled for dyslexia intervention because then it's like mm-hmm. well, kids will see them pulled exactly but i'm not raising those other kids i'm raising my right. daughter and, and if it's going to help her then let's give it to her and we can always exactly. if it's not working if it doesn't work we can always take her out of it and, and try exactly something. right so i think and, then, and that's where you weigh the pros and the cons you know so so maybe you know you feel like she's going to be feeling negative or stigmatized for three or four years while being pulled for dyslexia intervention. But then for the rest of her, you know, educational career, she has all these different tools and strategies to help her thrive regardless of having dyslexia and be very successful and feel good about her schoolwork and her capabilities. And and, and talk to your kids, you know, even at six, seven, eight years old, we, uh, and, and I've had, you know, I've definitely done this where you steamroll and you think, well, I know it's best. But a lot of times, if you just say, did you go to dyslexia class day? Yeah. How was it? Oh, it was fun. What did you do? We did these things. So you didn't feel and you didn't feel like it was different than being in regular class. Oh, no, it was great, mom. I'm learning. You know, like they will tell you how they feel or it was awful mm-hmm. and I didn't like it and I didn't learn anything. And, you know, so you need to continue to have a conversation with your kids at the, you know, at their level. But they'll tell mm-hmm. you, they will tell you how they learn best and if it's working or not. Um, mm-hmm. And we as parents often forget to talk to our kids, you know? Right. We look we at forget a grade that on paper. Input. Yeah. We, we look at a grade on a paper and say, oh, it's obviously not working. Or we look at a grade mm-hmm. on a paper that is working when it's in spite of what's happening, not because of what's happening, you know? Exactly. And yep. so, and so even when they're little, they still have agency and let them tell you sure. how they feel about it. Right. Um, and so really that's, I think that's great advice. too. Yeah. That, that's really, um, because as parents, when we see a problem, we want to fix it. 
Mm-hmm. Forget, Absolutely. <laughs> we forget to talk to the kids about it. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and they, they do have, uh, they do have their own views and opinions and feelings. And mm-hmm. I think they are smarter than we give them credit for and more perceptive and worldly. And yes. so I think that's great advice also to make sure to talk to your kids and get their input and their feedback. So thank you so much, Sarah. I really, really appreciate your time and for being so vulnerable and honest with everybody and really sharing your experiences and your story. And um, I'm excited to hear more about how she's doing in a few more years. And we will uh, push through and, and make sure that, you know, we are providing her everything she needs to be successful. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to hearing more of your podcasts coming up. They've been really informative. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Good. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. In our show notes, you can find information about today's talk, as well as links to resources and other episodes. If you have questions about today's talk, have ideas for future episodes, or just want to stay connected, you can contact us through Diagnostic Learning Services on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. So, let's keep talking learning disabilities. This podcast is sponsored by eDiagnostic Learning. You can find more information at www.ediagnosticlearning.com.